ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Kept you waiting far too long, but my brother and I are back again to give it to you the raw, to give it to you the way you need it. We are back high low with the one and only Dino, the Dean Hanson brother. It's been it is like I said, it's been too long, and I'm so glad we finally get to do this again. Absolutely, family. Great to be back, man. Doing what we do: playoff basketball season wrap up. Little bit of everything, man. You've been moving around. I've been moving around. So we finally are settled down where we can go ahead and go high and low. But it's always there. Even when we're not on it, we're always high and low. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's let's do a quick run through on the Pelican season because we haven't gotten to talk since it ended. And um, you know, 31 and 41, a one-game improvement over the year before. Um and as we talked about this entire season, individual successes, collective failure. Um, let's start with coaching, because that's already been something we've, that's been talked about this offseason. And whether or not, you know, there's already been speculation on whether or not Stan Van Gundy's in trouble, um, his style, his connection with the players. My thought is this. Stan got a problem with one player. Stan got a problem with, with, in the main group. One player, and that's Brandon Ingram. Zion has bought in. Zion has bought in. What Zion has not bought into is I think he's seeing that there are guys who are, and I'm going to say it this way, losers. And, and I don't mean that as people, but I'm saying in the sports term of loser mentality, that they are not there in the sense that come to work for a championship every day. But as far as what Stan did, Clearly, it had to resonate with somebody. When you see the individual player improvement at those levels, when you see Zion making those steps, the problems to me with this roster, those weren't his fault in building an incomplete roster. He didn't get the – I don't want to take the, uh, the lack of practice and make it too big of an issue because everybody had to deal with that, and there are young teams – didn't practice that are doing better than the Pelicans. So I don't want to make too big of an excuse. That's on the players too. But to me, the biggest part was that Brandon Ingram couldn't be the star this year. And I think that whether he wants to admit it or not, Brandon liked it better when the offense ran through him first. And I think that that was a hit to his ego. He thought he was finally getting the shot to be the A1. And that's where the tension between him and Stan starts. Let me also add another component to that as well. You see just how, or you saw just how important Drew Holiday was to this basketball team last season. You were also in a position because Drew having the respect that he did around the league for him being the dynamic two-way player that he was, it allowed Brandon actually a lot more freedom, which is why he was able to benefit off of those aspects. The fact that Zion, quite, fr quite frankly, Zion is the only one that needs 
to be your main concern in that if Zion bought in, if everybody else didn't buy in, that means we got to start making moves because Zion is the face of your franchise going forward. Brandon showed a level of mental weakness, if you will, this past season. He looked disjointed and his decision making was extremely poor. He just didn't have that necessary edge to his game this season. In certain situations, I'm sorry? On either end of the floor. On either end of the floor. Defensively, he looked awful. He looked clueless. He was always chasing. He was always a step behind. He wasn't rebounding effect. You just never felt his imprint on the game. And that was the most important part. You never felt him on the game. There were times you felt like not only was Zion competing against the other team, but he was also competing against his own teammates because they were making things difficult. Locker room chemistry and people, you know, really don't want to put a lot of credit into it, but it's, it, it's essential. Locker room communication, locker room relationships are big, bigger than what people can imagine. Even when it gets down to you arguing in the locker room, even when it gets down to you getting into almost fights in the locker room, that's not a bad thing. That means you give a damn. That means you care. I can't take this losing. It is driving me. Why are teams who are less talented than what we are, are winning and more importantly, executing, we've got leads at 15, 16, and the opposing players and team is not even concerned that we're going to be able to close the game out. When there's dissension in the locker room from other players, even though everybody has bought into the fact that we all know, and, and, and some of the guys' egos will get bruised because Zion has become the face. But, you know, I don't know if you saw the interview the day after Coach K decided this season was going to be his last season. And I'm pretty sure you did because that's what we do basketball all day, every day. He talked about Zion's work ethic. He talked about Zion's IQ. And he talked about how much Zion just loved playing the game and enjoyed playing the game and coming to work every single day. You have a generational talent like Zion who has improved his game over this past season. And you don't see the same work ethic, if you will, from other players on the team. And you can see it from their bodies as far as them being stronger, from the way they handle situations on the court. They still weren't communicating. If you don't do something, and, we, 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 and of course we talked about this right before we went on today. If you don't get pros in that locker room, if you don't get veteran guys in that locker room, they don't have to be the greatest of talents, but guys who will put on their hard hats every single day, guys that you know who are going to consistently give you 12 to 15 to 16 points, 9 to 10, 11, 12 rebounds every night, but more importantly, leave an impact and an impression on the game, you're going to stay right where you are. And I get so tired of talking to Pelicans fans and go, I get it. You're a homer. You want to see the Pelicans do well. You're always got excuses. 
But you need to stop looking at statistical aspects and look at this thing called the eye test. You never see them. How long have you and I been talking about this? Defensively, they look disjointed and they are never like a synchronized swimming team. They look lost. More importantly, they don't talk. If you don't talk, you will get torched. It happens continually. It is such a lost art. So going forward with the Pels, despite the way their season ended, it was inexcusable that you were only a one game better than what you were the previous season. They never looked engaged other than Zion. You never felt Brandon's imprint. Lonzo was his usual up and down self roller coaster ride. Yeah, his shot is improving, but there's so much more to the game of basketball as a point guard besides him being a three ball shooter. It's the leadership aspect that this team is missing out on the leadership of pros in that locker room and on that court. And let's, I want to start with Zion because I think that the two biggest developments for him this year were number one, the, the implementation of the point Zion offense, which I think is a double edged sword. Um, it is to me, it is a good situational offense, something that you go to at times, but it also, it takes energy from Zion to bring the ball up the floor and initiate the offense. It keeps him further away from the basket when he's the best scorer in the paint in the NBA. And I think it also makes it easier because the Pelicans don't move well without the basketball for defenses at time when they are able to, and we've seen it. We saw when it goes on too many stretches, when you run points Zion consecutively, the defense adjusts and just says, okay, we're not letting Zion get to the paint. And if he can't get to the paint, none of these guys are going to beat us. And so I think that, that while it is a situational thing, and I think David Griffin oversold that this year, talking about, well, Stan Van is the only person who saw it. I think any coach really would have seen it if you play with it, because you're going to see, okay, well, this guy can handle the ball in the open court. It's the same thing. There was no such thing as point Barkley. But we saw Charles run the offense at times. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's if you have a player with that skill, they're going to do it and you're going to allow them to do that at times. It's just how do you use it? And I think the Pelicans at times overused it because they did not have anyone in the backcourt who could initiate. And Brandon on the wing struggles with his ball handling and his lateral quickness to get past people. He doesn't get low enough to use his shoulder to get around people. So when you don't have that, you are forced to give it to the one guy who you know can go downhill and try to create for other people. But that creation is not a function just of his genius. It is a function of just what any great player does. You drive, you collapse the defense. Somebody's got to be open. It became the Pelicans necessity instead of it being a novelty every now and again. They went to it too much all the time. We can go back further than that, even on the Bulls championship team. Remember, Scotty was also the one to be that point forward, but it was situational. It wasn't always. They still utilized their point guard, that being BJ, that being Ron, whatever the case may be. The Pelicans relied upon it too much and far too long. And you're right. It expands Zion energy. 
it literally makes the defense look at it from the standpoint of we're winning because if Zion has to bring the ball up and then he has to go to the post, you become a one-dimensional basketball team which make it much easier for opposing teams to defend you. That is the main problem. Other teams recognize that. Prime example, the Knicks tried to do it as much as they could, and it worked all regular season with Julius Randle. Come the playoffs, teams like a Nate McMillan in Atlanta took it away from them. He realized this is what they were relying upon all the time. Let me take that away from them. And he looked like a shell of the regular season player that he quite honestly was. If you rely on something that is just supposed to be every now and again to, 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 to shake things up and, and, and reset a balance to make the opposing team think twice, if that becomes your bread and butter, you've got problems. And you're right. Lonzo, Eric Bledsoe, which, of course, when Eric Bledsoe first came to New Orleans, we was like, that most certainly is not only a step down, it's a step backwards. It's not going to make your team any better. He's never been that kind of guy that's going to be that floor general and, and lead you because he wants to be too ball dominant. He wants to be too busy. He's trying to score his own, get his own, so to speak, if you will, and not setting nobody else up. And, and that was the more than just a step back. He was actively taking things off the table. And we knew yeah, that that's what I'm saying. It was a season started that he, again, no desire to be in New Orleans. In New Orleans? None. None. If you didn't want to be somewhere, you're not going to play well. Bruh, I use that same analogy. Sorry, New Orleans listeners. But I use that same analogy when this opportunity presented itself for me here in Dallas. Bruh, it got to a point that there was nowhere else to go in New Orleans for me. There was no growth. I needed more. I became very frustrated. I became very agitated. I couldn't be there any longer. Dude, in less than four months, in less than four months, things changed drastically. It wasn't that I didn't want to be in New Orleans. It's just that there wasn't anything there for me. Mentally, if you are not engaged and you feel that level of frustration around you, it's going to affect your moods. It's going to affect your pockets. You're not paid what you're worth. With that, Eric Bledsoe did not want to be there from the beginning. And it showed every time he touched the court. It was almost as if the Pelicans had 12 individual players. Maybe one or two guys got along well. Outside of that, there was no energy level. You know, Nikhil and Zion are extremely close. You know, but outside of that... They love Jacks. They, they're all, I mean, they're friends, but I don't. They're friends. That. I don't need that. And no team needs, you know, like was, there was the famous um, Yankees in the 70s. And they said, you know, 25 players, 25 different calves, you know, in the late 70s. But that Yankee team won back-to-back World Series. You don't have to be best friends. Larry Bird did not get along with Kevin McHale or Robert Parrish. Didn't like but either one but when they got on that floor, they knew what their responsibilities and jobs were. They had respect for each other's skill set, and they dominated. And it's clear. They dominated. You look at Jordan and Scotty. Scotty's sending out his new book, and he's saying there ain't no jo- Michael Jordan without Scotty. So clearly, 
there is a tension between the two of them that has always existed. But Scotty got in line when it was time to get in line. Now, Scotty, yeah. obviously, he asserted himself so that he felt good in who, who he was and what he was doing. But in his mind, he had to maintain this thing of, I am nobody's sidekick. I can work as hard as Mike. I'll be there every morning when he's there. I'll be there. When he goes to the gym, I'm in the gym. When he's defending, I'm just as hard as he does. And yeah. his thing was to prove that. I think Scotty's motivation was to prove to Michael, I am your equal. Not, a, not as a player. He knew Jordan was the best. But I'm your equal as a man. And on this team, you will respect me as such. And I think that that mm -hmm. tension is important. I think that on a, on a championship team there is, look, Shaq and Kobe, tension. Kevin Garnett was a, and Rondo were tension. They were instigators on their yes. own team to mm -hmm. their own teammates, to provoke the big babies, to make big baby cry on the bench, to make Kendrick yes. understand to keep his big ass down by the basket and defend. Those yes. are about tension, Rondo versus great teams. Look, LeBron and Spo. It's tension. It's going to exist in great teams because great people who are great, they think that their way is the best and there has to be some give and take. But if there's no <laughs> passion about that, about how we win and how I think the best way to win is, then you're never going to get anywhere. If everybody's saying, okay, there's no passion, but okay, this is what we do. Coaches don't even want that. You want your players to be invested and own their team and say, coach, can we work on this? This would help me. Do you see this? Let's look at film. I'd like to run some more of these. Coaches want that feedback. They want you to show up at their office and talk to them. Now, they may say no, and but they, they want that tension. They created tension, and it just – you don't see that created tension. And I'll add this. They might say no at that particular moment because they have something in mind that they want to get done. But it doesn't mean he won't sit down with them assistants and go, listen, we got to figure out. Because now you're coming to me and you are taking onus. You're holding cats accountability. And that's what you're talking about. Accountability. Accountability. Let me say this real quick. All right. Two days ago. When. I was a freshman going to the University of Oregon. And there's a reason why I'm mentioning this, that tension, that tension. My freshman year at University of Oregon, we had a cat who was from Sugar Hill in New York. And if anybody knows anything about New York, being up on the hill, you got to be a different kind of dude up on Sugar Hill. You got to be a different breed up there. All right. Dude by the name of Randy Grant, who was a junior when I was a freshman. Juco transfer. He just passed away on Monday. 55, 56 years old. Yeah, 55 years old. His dad just passed away a month ago. I say that to say this. There were several days, and you know how it is, when you're getting ready to play an opposition, your second string team is the scout team for the opposing team that you're going to play. Mm -hmm. All right. I was always, again, as a freshman, I'm always that shooting guard for the scout team. I'm putting up buckets. I'm talking smack at the same time as a freshman. You know, vets and seniors and juniors, they don't take kindly 
to freshmen feeling good and talking smack to them like that, all right? Every now and again, I come off a screen, bow. Dude from Sugar Hill, Randy Grant, giving me a shot. Bow, giving me a shot every time I come off. Well, finally, I get frustrated and get pissed off at Bruh, practice is getting ready to end because they didn't broke us up several times because we going at each other. Now, mind you, at this time, I didn't realize what he was doing as a vet mm-hmm. because they saw something in me as a young freshman that I didn't see yet. All right. They break us up several times during practice. Practice is over. Man, I'm from New Orleans. I'm from the sixth ward, ninth ward, the seventh ward. I don't get down like that. At this time, I'm a skinny 175-pound freshman. Randy is 6'7", 220, 225. So I know, you know, he got the size on me. That said, again, you learn this as a kid. If somebody is bigger than you, you better pick something up. You remember the metal trash cans that used to be in gyms and so forth? Yep. He's walking down the tunnel, going to our locker room. One of my big brothers, still to this day, who was also a junior, sees me. I go and pick up the metal trash can and I dump the trash out of it. And I'm coming down the hallway behind Randy. I'm getting ready to bash his head in. My dude, Brett Coffee, sees me. He grabs me, pushes me up against the wall. Give me that dang, use a few choice words. Give me that damn trash can, yada, 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 yada. What the hell are you doing? So Randy turns around and he looks at me. And he comes back towards me, and I'm like, let's go. I ain't got time for this shit. He's like, so you was ready to bash me on my head with a trash can? Like, dude, I don't get down like that. I'm like, and he starts laughing. I'm like, you think this is a joke? So my man, Brett Coffey, goes, no. He goes, we're testing to make sure you can be in that foxhole with us. We can see what you bring to the table. We got to know if you're tough enough to handle this. Randy goes, my dude. This is all a test. I got to make sure you can battle. If you don't have cats who are challenging each other and causing that tension on your team and holding you accountable after you show what you can do, you're never going to win. If people think that Chris Paul is this nice guy on the on, 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 as, as a person, which he is, but you see when it comes to this game of basketball, Chris is a dog. And I can go down the list. Until this Pelicans basketball team recognizes and fans in New Orleans recognize if you don't have guys who are willing to butt heads, if you don't have guys who are willing to hold another player accountable when you have the talent and the skill set, you're not going to win. Stan Van Gundy can be as 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 a basketball genius or a hell of a basketball coach all he wants to. If your players on your team don't hold each other accountable, it doesn't matter what plays are drawn up. Look at Atlanta, and I know we're going to get into everything else you know, as, as we go, but look at Atlanta and the change of the culture when you brought in a Nate McMillan. You have to have guys who are willing to be ready to fight each other, not in a negative sense, but dude, I want to win every single time we go up the floor, whether it's on offense or defense, if you are not willing to lay it all out, you're going to continue to be mediocre and stay right here where you are. And that's what the Pels did. Even with Zion being back, 
they were still a mediocre basketball team and nobody took them seriously. No time. They didn't. There's no, no time of the New Orleans Pelicans. I And I, I have said that I don't even think people fear Zion yet because as talented as he is, he is not He's still nice and soft. Yes. He hasn't, he hasn't gone Hulk mode yet. And at some point you got to break your foot off of somebody's ass and just let them know when you are, I am not to be played with. This is what gets done. This is what gets done. And how many times all the great dunks that we've seen out of Zion, how many of them put somebody into the stanchion? How many of them, you know, have you seen where the other guy was on his back when it was over? They're in transition. They're in, you know, in those moments. You need Pick a and roll situation. Yes, you need a message. You need those ones that just hurt people, even if they get you get offensive foul. You know, that's how Blake Griffin, quite honestly, and we'll get into Blake too. That's how Blake Griffin got his rep. That's how Sean Kemp got his rep. When you're a power player, that's how Shaq got his rep. Once you get to the league and you're a power player, you have to exhibit that or people will come at you and test you to see if you're a real tough guy. And you got to make people feel you. Mm-hmm. Whether they want it or not, whether they expect it or not, you got to make them feel you. You got to be Debo in Friday going up and down the court, taking people chains. End of the story. Sometimes you got to get a flagrant foul. It just has to happen sometimes. You got to knock somebody down unnecessarily just to let them know the paint is not open. The paint is not open for you. And the Pelicans allow more points of the paint than just about anybody in the NBA because they don't intimidate anyone physically. There is the growth. Yes. You know why? Because they don't go hard in the paint, baby. They don't go hard in the paint. <laughs> they retreat. You've seen it. Whether it's and, – and for all of Jackson Hayes' development this year, we saw uh, some good things out of Jackson. He still retreats defensively in the lane. He backs up trying to get those blocked shots. You've got to stop that penetration. You can't have people dropping floaters over your head when you're 7-1. Can't have it happen. There's a reason – that Rudy Gobert is the three-time defensive player of the year. Yeah, the year. Yeah. It's because it's not just because he gets blocked shots. It's because no one wants to come near the rim. Yep. And no you one. saw, and you saw that on display again last night. 20 rebounds, four or five blocked shots, letting you know this is my house. I command this paint. You can't play him off the floor now. And he didn't change his game. Rudy has not nope. changed his game, but it's matchups. And before he was getting bad matchups. Now he's getting the matchups he needs. And he's got the players around him to take advantage of those. He ain't messing with Rudy down there. And that's what the Pelicans don't have. Not on the perimeter, they don't have a stopper. Not on the post, they don't have a stopper. And in this league, you have to have two legitimate all NBA type defenders on your roster to be considered a championship mm-hmm. caliber team. You have to, it's not, it's not even a, a, a question. Show me a champion over the last 20 years that didn't have two elite defenders. And not only were they two elite defenders, they were two of their four best players. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. You hit the nail right on the head, man. And you have to have that. And the Pelicans have not shown a propensity to do such, to be such. We knew when Brandon left L.A. because Brandon was the same way in L.A. He was the same way at Duke. He's not the kind of guy who's going to get into anybody, hold guys accountable. He just goes along with the flow. And that's the problem. That's, that's, that's it right there. That's the problem with the Pels. You have too many guys on this team who just go with the flow and who don't want to disrupt the apple cart, if you will. When you need somebody who is willing to disrupt the apple cart, who is willing to literally get in somebody else's behind. We saw it with Rajon Rondo just a week ago when Kawhi Leonard shoots an air ball and Rajon got into Kawhi. Like, what are you doing? Dude. You have to have people like this on your team. When have you ever seen anybody on the Pelicans basketball team that does that? You don't. There's no guiding force. And that that's the problem. And as you go up and down this roster, let's say, okay, let's get to Lonzo. And the decision that they have to make with him. Everybody's talking either a sign and trade. There's a max number that you want to give him. My question for the for the Pelicans is ultimately this, because I don't like doing trade speculation. That's not what we do here. You know what I'm saying? We don't mm-hmm. sit around and try to go through other people's nope. and, and, and nope. find pl- players. I don't want to do that. But nope. my question is, if you let Lonzo go, who is your point guard target? And do you and what are you willing to give up to get that person? Mm-hmm. Who is available? And do they want your junk? You know what I'm saying? Like, because that's what you're going to have to give out too is some of your junk because you just can't bring somebody back and say, I'm going to keep Bledsoe with whomever it is. Because it doesn't matter if you bring in Malcolm Brogdon, you bring in Kyle Lowry, whoever. If Bledsoe's still sitting over there next to him, you ain't no better. No. So no. if your whole backcourt is in question going into year three with Zion, that's a problem to me. The word that I have gotten out of L.A. at my uncle's office is that they are somewhat interested in Kimba since Boston is no longer there. And I go, and and, and before or after he tells me that, he goes, but mind you, that's not going to improve the Pelicans at all, nor give them what they want. But he was just letting me know that's a little of the buzz that they're getting because they know they've got to do something. So I'm not sure who he talked to in the Pell's organization that put that little bug in his ear after the Kimball Walker situation went down in Boston. But that's what he was saying, that Bledsoe and Lonzo out possibility of Kimba coming in because it gives you a point guard who's a score. But here's the bad thing about that. All right. Here's the bad thing about that for me. Yeah, it was a lot bad. Kimba was the, the man on a poor basketball team in Charlotte. He was hurt and was never consistent in Boston on a good basketball team with good players like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. So quite honestly, you really don't know who Kimba Walker really is and what he brings to your team. Secondly, he's too ball dominant and too self to be concerned with giving the ball to Zion and putting Zion in positions to win. 
And that was the first thing I told him. I said, dude, if the point guard is not willing to come to New Orleans and make Zion better and put Zion in position to be effective and to, and, and to lead and guide the team, I go, Kimball Walker is not that guy. He was like, Dean, you dead on right. He goes, I'm just letting you know what a little of the buzz has been since Kimba is no longer in Boston. So that's all that I've gotten news of so far as far as a possibility. And I was like, 86 that out the book right away. If that's, <laughs> if that's the direction that the Pelicans are going to go, they're going to do themselves more harm than they ever could good. He's not a catch-and-shoot shooter in that regard. Kimba's more of a scorer. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's a scorer. And he's not going to help your ball handling. He's not going to help you in creating assists. He's not going to help you defensively. He's not going to rebound. And if he's not getting touches because the ball is in Ingram and Zion's hand the majority of the time, then I don't see how he makes that team any better. You're just trying to grab a name so that you told people you tried to get better. No, exactly. Actual legitimate point guard. That's what this team needs. And and people. And that's if and when Kimba is available, because let's not forget the injury. The knees are dead. That he's never available now. His knees are done. His knees are done. So at that size, if your quickness isn't is compromised because of your legs, then you either and, and Chris Paul is one of those people whose quickness is compromised because of his legs, but he's quick mentally. And he knows yes. how to separate with the ball and create space. And he's also stronger than the vast majority of six two point guards that you will come across. He is very strong with the ball in his hand and off the ball. He also, despite him not being as quick as he used to be, he knows how to create matchups and situations where somebody will switch on him that he now has the advantage over that player again, just like he did with Paul Millsap the other night. And you remember they kept going to it over and over Over again, again. knowing that they were going to switch, which was going to allow Chris to start dancing. And then even if he didn't score, penetrating as other players are cutting and getting them in position. The dude is, the Pelicans need a setup guy. They need somebody who is going to set up everybody else. And they, they, they don't have that on the roster currently. And I don't, and certainly Kimball Walker isn't that guy. Um, I don't know a lot of the point guards that would be available this offseason that make that possible for them because the best ones aren't going anywhere. And then I would say, too, CJ McCollum, people keep talking about CJ. CJ is a pick and roll, too. He's a pick, yeah. He's, he's not a point guard. He's not a catch and shoot, too. And again, doesn't help your size. So you're still small in the backcourt. Doesn't help you defensively. He's not a great defender. And he's not a point guard leader of the team. He's just not. He's shown you he's a B. He's a B. He's not an A. He's a B. And he's not going to get the touches that he's used to. He's not going to get the movement that he's used to because the ball is going to stop with two people. You already have two ball stoppers on on the court at one time. So – I don't see how guys like that make them better. You have to have somebody who can break a defense down in the last six, seven seconds of a shot clock and make it easy for Brandon Ingram to catch and shoot or make it easy for Zion to roll to the basket and get a lob or get a layup. 
if you don't have that guy, and the Pelicans do not have that guy on the roster, they didn't this entire season. You know when the shot clock went down, it was going to be bad. So it was going to be pissed. And you could see the panic on their faces. It was like playing hot potato. I don't want to hear you take it. I don't want you to take it. I don't, I don't know what to do with the ball. Hey, you take it. It was, it, it was extremely apparent that you did not have anybody on that team that knew how to settle things down put them in positions, and until you get two things on this team, until you get a pro in that locker room who is a vocal guy, who is a tough guy, and until you get a point guard who is going to guide and lead and instruct and be unselfish to make your team better and make them more aware of situations, you're not going to go where you want to go. You're just not. Let's just, I mean, let's run through the roster real quick of the teams, the eight teams that are remaining in the playoffs and talk about their point guards real quick, just to name them. Philly, you got Ben Simmons. Okay, and we know Ben Simmons can be better, obviously, than he, than he could be. But still, mm-hmm. that's a 6-10 matchup nightmare for most people. Yes, absolutely. Denver Jokic is the primary point guard they play without, but Monty Morris is a fantastic, you know, option there to have to control your offense at times. You got you. You have guys who can run that offense other than Jokic there. Um, mm-hmm. Jamal Murray was available. He could do it at times. Yeah. The Clippers have have struggled with that with Patrick Beverly, with um, Rondo and not really figuring out. They have not really understood how to use Rondo properly. They have um, not. And then Reggie Jackson is not a point guard. That's He, he can score. But Reggie ain't a point guard. And I think that's why the have had problems in these two rounds is because that lack of somebody who can calm that offense down and put people in position. You're reliant on Kawhi to create so much mm-hmm. for everybody else. Go to Phoenix, Chris Paul, obviously. Go to Utah. Yeah, Mike Conley ain't playing a bunch of minutes, but when he's available, he does that for them. Donovan Mitchell has taken on the play, a lot of play uh, making responsibilities. Joe Ingles can run the pick and roll. You have guys who can handle that ball. Bogdanovich can handle the ball on the perimeter and create for other people and can and move himself into different positions from the mid post to the three point line and create shots for folks. Atlanta has Trey Young. Brooklyn's got Kyrie. And Milwaukee's problem is that they still have not found a point guard. They still have not. They try them not having Dante DiVincenzo for Milwaukee is as big a loss for any team in the playoffs. Huge, significant impact. Because here's the other thing about DiVincenzo. You you know, he's not going to be a self ball player on that court. And he enjoys setting up his teammates. And he's fearless. DiVincenzo is not scared of the moment. You're talking about a dude that came off the bench in the national championship game to become the most outstanding player. He has no fear of the moment. He will ta- attack the rim. He will shoot the three. He will create for others. He, no, he's not the best player in the world. But when the Pelicans made that but, I'm like I said, I wouldn't have left. If I'm David Griffin, I'm not leaving without Dante DiVincenzo. I don't want Bledsoe. You giving me DiVincenzo. I don't. I don't want your first round picks. I want DiVincenzo, and they messed that up. But he's so damn effective at what he does. And he, he competes, man. He competes. That dude has an attitude about him. That's that Villanova in him. Okay, that's that Jay Wright in him. Everybody knows at Nova and Jay Wright, you go compete and you go be tough. 
All right. And it carries over. It carries over, bro. Now, the other Villanova guy that we talk about is Josh Hart, also a restricted free agent. I think at this point, if it were me, Josh Hart, I, I am inclined, unless he's got coming at a real bargain value, to let him go. Because Najee Marshall, to me, younger, taller, more athletic, can give mm-hmm. me a double. I've seen it. Gives me length to defend. Mm-hmm. And can finish at the rim better. And his three-point shot, it's not like Josh Hart is an elite three-point shooter. So I have to figure that over time, I can at least make Najee a respectable catch-and-shoot guy from the corner. His upside is there. Josh is at his ceiling. And if he's at his ceiling now, and I don't expect my team to be at its ceiling for another two years, really, two to three years to get to the championship contention with Zion, then what am I keeping Josh Hart for? I need to spend that money somewhere else. You have to make that move. It's time. It, 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 it's, it's, it's one of those points right now, D. Grubb, where you've gotten all you can out of him. He's served as much of a purpose as he possibly could, but he is one of those casualties that you're going to have to take right now in order to move forward. You're just going to have to, like it or not, just with all the aspects that you just mentioned, uh, the time has come. Everybody has their time. And you have to move him while you can still get something in return for that. Um, I really don't know what kind of locker room guy he is. Um, You know, on the court, that's one thing you have to give him on the court. He's always engaged. You know, he's always entrenched. But it doesn't necessarily always lead to good things that are. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Josh can lose the ball. You know, he's not a great yep. ball handler. He can get yep. rotations. He doesn't defend. He's too slow for twos and he's too small for threes uh, to defend them. And we've seen it. We've seen him get burned defensively. It, if your entire game is based on effort, you had better be elite at something. And he's not elite at anything. And people say, well, he's a great rebounder. I don't care if my reserve guard is a great rebounder. He's a great rebounder. Because that's not yeah. what I – I don't need him to give me eight boards a game. That, that does not that, – that means I got other problems. I mean, that just – I can get – those balls are loose. Somebody's supposed to get them. If he's one of your mainstays that are doing the rebounding – you got bigger issues that need to be addressed right away. Because I don't want Josh getting defensive boards because he cannot turn defense to offense. He doesn't get me out in transition because he's not fast. If he's running, he can run the lanes and he'll, he'll go to the, to, to the cup and finish. But if he gets the ball, he doesn't have great vision when it comes to starting a break. And he just and, and he mm-hmm. great speed with the basketball in hand. So I look at Najee, and I've seen Najee take it to the rim. I've seen Najee, even when we know he's not a great shooter, pump fake and go straight to the basket and either create a pass or try to finish. I just I, I think his I'd rather have him getting those 20 minutes a night than than give Josh Hart 10 million dollars 
to give me basically the same production. It just, especially when you have the needs that the Pelicans have, and you know, being New Orleans, you have to overpay to get the type of veteran players that you need. To come down, yeah. You're not willing to people over the, the luxury tax, and you're not willing to do those things when you're not close to a championship. You better be wise with your money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you, again, it would serve Najee better and your team better to have him with those minutes and more of an impact than with Josh. It's, it's just a situation that it is. It's not like nobody doesn't appreciate Josh and his work ethic and what he's done. But just like milk or eggs, everything has a timestamp on it. This is the timestamp. It ain't personal. This is business. It's yep. business. It's not basketball friends. It's basketball business. So, you know, it, it's you hate to see him go. Like you said, he's a fan favorite. People like him. Cool. He's an engaging personality. Fine. We're trying to win here. So the goal is how do we get better at every position? And to me, also, I see a little bit of edge in Najee. I see some edge because, again, this is a dude who had to hustle up. He ain't yeah. Like Jay-Z said, we ain't even supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. So he's in the building, and that dude is not going backwards. Yeah. He's going to – not that Josh don't scrap, but give me this dude who does everything that Josh does and is bigger. And we know – And younger. And younger. And younger. And cheaper. It's a no-brainer. you got to pull the string. Let's move to Jackson Hayes. Um, again, I, I liked a lot of things about Jackson, but also I think the fact that he can score still um, glosses over some of the things that he doesn't do well. Um, I still don't see – he still is not a, a very good rebounder. He doesn't box out. Um, he's still – like if, it's, if there's traffic, he's not rebounding. Um, and, and I think his – you know, you see his block shots come in bunches. He can go six, seven games without registering a block, and then he'll get a couple. I don't think he's a – you know, people got on me because I said he's not a natural shot blocker. Natural shot blockers show up from day one. Nerlens Noel, natural shot blocker. Rudy Gobert, natural shot blocker. There are guys who block shots, and then there are shot blockers. Shaq yes. is not a natural shot blocker. He, he, but he can come and block a shot, though. There's a difference. When it was time, he could get one. But when yeah. you watch – a guy like, you know, when you see a guy like an Olajuwon, and people need to remember, when Akeem got here, he had never played a lick of American basketball. Arrives at Houston completely raw, but from mm-hmm. day one, he was a shot blocker. From day yep. one, he was getting five, six blocks a game. It's something that you can't teach. It's an innate timing. It's an, yes, it's an innate timing. It is instinctive it's a higher level of basketball IQ. Additionally, Hakeem had fantastic feet. Yes. Starts with the base. Dwight Howard, the reason Dwight is still able to block shots at the age of 36 is because he had that timing. He doesn't exert more energy than is necessary to block. He's not jumping at everything. He knows right. when it's time to jump. And when it's time to just body up and raise your hands and don't do anything and, and make mm-hmm. it big. Sometimes it's all right. That's coach told you all the time. Yeah. You ain't got to jump. Just be big. Because Look at Rudy Gobert. Big. Look at Rudy Gobert. 
How many shots does Rudy Gobert impact without him having to block every shot? It's how you prime example of where your body position. Roy Hibbert was not a great shot blocker, but Roy Hibbert protected the paint when he was at his peak. Roy protected the paint with verticality because he mm-hmm. knew how to maintain his body position, and you weren't going to go through him, and you weren't going to go over him because he right. knew I'm going to be this, and he had the base to stay in position. Jax doesn't have a strong base. He can be pushed. So that's the thing with him. I think he, he deserves more minutes next season, but he's still not ready, in my mind, to be um, a guy that you say, I'm going to put him in for 20-plus minutes a night. I'll tell you who I would like to see him work with this offseason to help him, if possible, even though I know he probably won't do it. But you see if Jax could get with Alonzo Mourning, that would impact his game on so many different levels from because Zoe had a great base. Zoe had great feet. He was a shot blocker. He impacted the game. And offensively, he had certain patented moves that he went to. You see, Jax doesn't know who and what he does. And people forget Zoe as an athlete, as a natural athlete, that's not Alonzo Mourning. No. Like, you know, you watched him, it's very, I mean, he is a muscle. You know, like that's what Lonzo was brute strength and power, but also that impeccable timing. That impeccable that's what I'm talking about. The, the timing. That's what I'm referring to. And I don't I don't think you can teach the timing, but you can teach positioning. And I think you can get his feet better. And I think you can teach him how to close better. I think you can teach him where to be earlier. And he can be a better defender that way by getting to his you can spot. Teach, you can teach positioning and recognition of these particular times to do this and when not to do it. When to go here. Those are things that can be taught. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Zoe got in that weight room and became that muscle-bound guy. But Zoe, even at Georgetown, always had great feet and was a shot blocker and what did he do he added the, t- the two things that Lonzo could do and every post person has to have something you can go to when it, when you when everything else ain't working what do you what can you go to and Lonzo You're had bad. to turn over the shoulder yep he had that 15 foot jumper that if you gave it to him he was gonna knock it down boom top of the key he could knock it down boom baseline yep. knock it down boom yep that's Hey, it's nice to see Jackson shoot threes, and that's fine. And I great. Hey, brother, if your if your stroke is working, shoot it. But you got but, to two or three post moves that you can count on when your team needs a bucket. And you see so many times with Jax is that second effort, you can push him underneath the basket and he's not gonna finish. You know, you can take away his legs. And he's has he struggles to finish if his legs are not with him. And it's easy to get him into that position because he rebounds with his legs and his arms and not his ass. He's got to get patent. He's got to get patent, consistent go-to moves that no matter what, under any situation, it's your moniker. And I will say this because definitely don't want people to think that we're beating up because we saw his improvement this season. Mm-hmm. He improved. And, and I say that to say, because you know, 
you have always been much harder on Jax than I ever have been. Yeah. But I'm glad that the improvement this past season showed and came from him, that he can be much more effective and that he can earn those minutes now. I mean, I, I'd even tell him to watch some Sean Kemp tape because Sean was that super athletic guy who relied on his athleticism for the first two or three years in the league. But then Sean got that 15-footer. Remember, it was like yeah. me and GP could run that pick and pop and boom. But he could also give you that one hard dribble and finish at the rim with both touch and with power. And you have to that's be – that's, that's what I also was going to, to mention is the fact that even with all of his athleticism, if Jax is able to start knocking down those 15-footers consistently – it's going to also put him in a position now where guys can cut and he can make that extra pass. Additionally, if he can make that 15-footer, defenses are going to come to him, then he can go around them and attack the rim. So it's going to make him a more valuable asset when he's on that court. One dribble and go. That's all it is. If you're at 15 and you know you've got that shot, and we've seen him handle the ball on the open floor, mm -hmm. And if they close hard, one dribble, go. Because yep. it, it, he's just got to get stronger and finish at the rim better because that's that's another part of it. He has to grow into a man's body. He doesn't have a man's body yet. He's still mm -hmm. very much a, a kid in, as far as his physical makeup. As he right. gets stronger, he's got to be able to finish at the rim with two hands and go through contact. But, yeah, that, if he can make that shot, it's, that's more important than the three for Jax. Because when people talk oh. about facing with the Pelicans, it's about those shots, too. If we were watching – I'm going to use Kawhi as an example. Kawhi won game six and seven by knocking down mid-range shots. By knocking down – His bread and butter. His bread and butter that he's been doing since San Antonio. Didn't shoot threes. Didn't shoot threes, mid-range shots, because he got to the spots on the floor that he knew he could not. I'm not going to – if I'm going to get us back in this game, I'm not going to waste my time trying to get it in one shot. I'm going to get it with these – and what that does, when you are able to hit consistently from mid-range, you do open up cutting lanes for other people because they have to respect that shot. Your, your man has to come out on you and defend that mid-range shot. So there are cutting lanes available. And when you drive and can pull up at that mid-range, you also have passing outlets back out to the three-point lane. So that's what Kawhi was able to create, not just for himself and get 40-plus points, but he was able to make it easier on those other guys to get theirs when they needed to. And I think that that's there are ways – you know, we, we tend to get caught up in this all or nothing with teams offensively, but the teams that you look at, the ones that are winning these series, and we're going to get into that, they are not all or nothing offensive teams where it's not just layups and threes. That's not that's not the teams that are here in this final group of eight, not the ones that are winning these series. Um, Nikhil, another guy that I think, again, we said at the beginning of the season, hit the smartest decision I think of anybody on the roster was Nikhil saying, I'm not a point guard, I'm a two. Mm -hmm. And we saw when he started, he was able to score. I think he plays with reckless abandon at times, um, that he moves too quickly at times, but that's still a young player learning. But he's mm -hmm. willing to take big shots. He can take people off the dribble. He's getting taller. 
Um, I think he, he is, he's one of the defenders that will fight on every possession as far as like going through screens, um, chasing his man over a screen, going underneath on the right guy. He does, he has good recognition in, in those situations. I think Nikhil's basketball IQ is, is pretty high. Um, I wouldn't start as my two, but I think as a Jordan Clarkson type, but a more efficient Jordan Clarkson who has those big waves in shooting. I think mm-hmm. be the, a very good first option off the bench as a scorer. Well, you know, from day one, I've always been high on Nikhil simply because the air of toughness that he brings, the reckless abandonment that he does play with. And if he makes a mistake offensively, he will bust his hump on a defensive end to make up for that mistake. He will definitely uh, make it a point to look for Zion when he and Zion are on the court together. His natural chemistry to, 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 to look for Zion is essential. And you can see Zion's energy goes up when Nikhil also is on the floor. That's essential. We know from day one of Nikhil coming to New Orleans, he can score. This we know. That's what he did at Vitek. We know he can put up numbers and score. Mm-hmm. Um, once he figures out when to go 20 miles an hour in the school zone, when to go 75 on the freeway, once he figures those things out and is able to assess without having to go so fast and assess in the midst of, even if that means looking as if you're going 75, but then pulling it right back out or slowing it down to give the illusion that you're getting the setup in the offense and then a quick burst to go where you have to go. Once he can figure those things out, he does communicate. That's the other great thing about Nikhil. He talks in direct. So coming off the bench, he would be extremely effective. And, 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 And guys like Nikhil, you have to have guys like that on your team. Yeah, I think he's pushed himself into the realm of, I need to see more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whereas a lot of these guys are still pieces. Because even with Jax, if there's something that came along that I needed now, then I understand, hey, I got to put Jax on the table because I can't wait. Bigs take long time. <laughs> People who don't know, most bigs, it, it's not usually till year four or five for guys who have not gotten a lot of playing experience as being right. rare to come in and be ready. So, and that's why we've compared Jax to JaVale McGee so many times is that it took JaVale a good six years to figure out what he was as an NBA player. But with Nikhil, you're seeing it come together. And you saw it during that second half of the season that the gears had turned and that he had no, it, it wasn't just the confidence that he belonged in the NBA, the confidence that he could bust people's ass. Yeah. He felt, yeah. he was like, I, I can get 25. I know I can <laughs> Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and you know, there was, I, I was, I was watching this thing with Robert Ory talking to Lazo Ball and Jackson Hayes. And Robert Ory, they were asking him, how did he get to be so clutch? And he said, man, I've been clutch since high school. He said, I missed a free throw to lose a tournament. And I saw how mad it made my teammates and how sad they were. And he said, I wasn't going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. Said, clutch is about confidence. He said, yep. that 
all that is. He said it's about confidence. I walked yep. as a rookie to the Rockets, and he said, first week of practice. So I'm yelling. I yelled at Dream, and I'm saying, get to this spot. And people say, you don't yell at Dream. He said, I'm not yelling at Dream. I'm trying to get the offense going. I'm doing what we're supposed to do. And he said from that day on, his relationship with Olajuwon changed because Olajuwon said, I can trust that guy. He's not afraid to talk to me. And he knows what the hell is going on. Goes back to what I was saying about learning how it works. If you have good vets on your team that see something in you, even as a rookie, as a freshman, they're going to listen to you because they're like, okay, just like you said, I can trust this guy. He gets it. Then as a rookie or as a freshman, you're going to be like, yo, I got a rapport and a relationship with this guy that he feels like he needs me. I know I need him. We're going to get better. The level of accountability. Accountability is everything. Everything. It's more, it's more than just showing up. It's more than just showing up. I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on Stephen Adams because, I mean, I think Stephen did a fine job. Um, mm-hmm. My problem with Stephen has always just been the, the extension for him. Um, I don't think that they're going to move him. Uh, I don't think that there's anybody, unless you have to give a bunch of stuff away, because I don't think anybody wants to take on a $17 million contract for a guy who can't play 30 minutes and gets hurt. I mean, quite frankly, I think Steven is on the downside of his career physically. Um, oh, yeah. So I think that's a problem that the Pelicans need to think about. Uh, but now you've got Billy Hernan Gomez, who's going to be a free agent again, right? And, mm-hmm. so, and Billy's certainly proven that he's, has he deserves some minutes? He, he is a reasonable facsimile of a starting center. He's not a starting center. I wouldn't start him 82 games, but he is a reasonable enough facsimile to for me to know he deserves minutes. If I'm keeping Jackson A's, I, Jackson's got to get minutes. So, and again, your timetable of being great or being ready to contend is still two years down the road at minimum. You ain't going to jump from 31 wins to 60 next year. So if we talk at two years at minimum, Adams to me, again, is a liability on your, 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 your contract, your ledger, mm-hmm. your liability on the ledger financially, not on the court. He did his job fine, but financially, I don't know if he's worth it to continue to hold on to him for two more years. He, uh, unfortunately, as you know, with bigs, they have a shelf life and the majority of his career was spent in OKC and he did a yeoman's effort of work with OKC. At this stage now, it's almost as if he's becoming a shell of what he used to be. You get moments and glimpses every now and again, but dude, it's hard on a big guy when you're accustomed to being a physical big guy and pounding so much. And that's what he's done. He's given out a lot of, he's given out a lot of weight and he's taken a lot of pounding on his body and it's caught up with. And he doesn't have, and the thing that he misses as bigs get older, you better either be a solid, again, a solid set shooter in that 10 to 15 foot range, or you better be able to finish on the screen and roll. And Steve is not a great athlete. 
in that regard. You can't throw him lobs. You can't throw the ball low and have him catch it on the move. You got to throw the right pass to him for him to catch it. <laughs> He's an unwilling scorer. There are plenty of times. And we, how many games did he get offensive rebounds? to tap him out or get away from the basket when he's standing in the paint grabbing the offensive board. You have to be willing to go straight back up and finish that, either get the foul or finish the play. And Steven just doesn't seem capable or willing to do that right now. And I don't think you can give away possessions because that's what happens when the Pelicans, they get their offensive rebound, but it ends up with a bad shot. What's the better shot to be within 10 feet of the basket, to be within five feet of the basket or to kick it out for a 25 foot three? He is somebody that you can, if you're in a position, you can still start him, but you get him out quickly and you start to use him more in spots because he's on that downward trajectory in his career. You know, you know he can come in right away, do a couple of things, give you some physicality. So maybe you do start him right away. You know he's an unselfish. You know, I mean, like, you know, he's an unselfish player. You know, he's a willing passer, but you can't give him those long minutes anymore that he used to get. You just can't. He's not that guy anymore. Not on a night to night basis, not in this league. You just it's it's too hard for him to recover. We see the injury start to build up. And I don't know if you if you can't count on him. And that's that's, again, you know, availability. If you mm-hmm. can count on the guy to be there, no matter what he does bring to the table, it's just not enough then. It's just and not that's enough. Thing. There. You know, he's dealing with injuries now more than he ever has. When he was an OKC, dude, he was Cro-Magnum man. He would run through a wall and be right back on the court two seconds later. And Those where are these injuries start- occurring, though? Feet? You know what I'm saying? Like lower and body. you know and, and you know, for a big guy, when you start having foot injuries, that's so, the end of your career. Yeah. yeah. And um, lastly, we'll hit on Kyra. Um, Kyra had moments, but again, fresh out of college, point guard, point guard. Fresh out of college. Hardest, hardest position, and I continue to say it, hardest position to transition to uh, from college to the NBA is point guard. Um, there's a lot he has to learn. Um, I think his grade for this season will be an incomplete because I don't know if he's a piece for the future or not. Um, I would, you know, again, he's not in position for you to turn the offense over to next year. He's not in no. position to lead your second unit. He's not, he's not ready to lead a second unit. So he's still a developmental player. And at best, if you can get him 10, 12 minutes, then you've done okay. But it's very situational for Kyra still at this point. It's very matchup based. Um, I like his effort. I like the fact that he will, he, he gives his energy the entire time, um, but he's not a great shooter yet. And he's not a great ball handler yet. And, he, and it's going to take experience for him to learn how to read defenses and, and, and create for other people, because it's not going to be about him scoring. It's going to be about, can he run an offense? And he's just not there yet, but that's not something that I'm holding against a guy who skipped a year of, of high school and played one year of college basketball at Alabama. The sample size is too small and the jury is still out on what he can and what he can't do. And he hasn't played at a high level long enough, not even in college. So it, it, it's hard to assess 
exactly where to go or, or should I say it's hard to assess what he can be going forward right now. You just you just don't have enough body of work to come up with anything yet. Yeah. I mean, you saw good things. You saw bad things. And that's what you would expect yeah. out, of, out of a kid because that's what he is. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'm not disappointed in what he did. Um, my only question, again, is when you had this team and you take him in the first round, you know, you got somebody to help you later. And I, I think that the big thing in the NBA, and, and let's transition to the front office on this question, is the big thing in the NBA is everything has to be now. Everything has to be now. This is a league of now. It is not a league of building. You don't, the windows are not eight to 10 years anymore. The windows are three to four. And if you can't put together win now um, by identifying the right kinds of players, there is no organic growth. That's just a myth. That's a joke. Look at the teams that show me a team up here that has organic growth. They went and got pieces. And I think Griff saying, I want sustainability. Yeah, you want to draft your own players. Absolutely, you want to draft your own players. Mm-hmm. But you can't run a daycare center and have six, seven, eight guys under the age of 24. But you want to build sustainability after you've done something. Some winning. That- yeah. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> like we've said before, you cannot lose your way into winning. That's not possible. And 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 and. and, and and the main reason why it has to be a win now mentality is because if you don't win now, you see the guy who is the face of the franchise, he ain't going to be there that long. Okay. There's only so much loyalty that you can give before you're like, listen, we've been at this four or five years now. Dude, I can't let my best years or me getting close to that point now be in a situation where we're not progressing significantly, significantly having an impact. You gotta make Zion happy and show that you're gonna put in the work and the pieces around him to make him say, all right, we're not there, but we're moving closer than what we have been. You have to. I mean, the history of this franchise, Chris Paul made the playoffs in year three. Anthony Davis made the playoffs in year three. Those two things are what kept them in New Orleans. They don't do that because you you and I both remember we had the conversation when AD signed his rookie extension. And you were, you know, you you knew before anybody that they were about to sign right at midnight. Dale was over there. You know, they had a picture of – um, your uncle and AD holding up the contract with Dell. They just signed it at midnight. And at the time, mm-hmm. I talked about it, said AD gave up his leverage by signing that fast. He did. He, he took the team off the hook by signing that. Yeah. Fast. They were like, we got you. So whatever we do now is what we got. And yep. I, I will not be in that position because which you dad told AD don't jump on that. Right. I was just about to tell you that. Just to clarify, my uncle specifically told AD, no, hold off on this. This is not the time to do this right now. And was vehement about telling him not to do it. That was all AD's doing. All right. Because of AD's loyalty and liking New Orleans. 
My uncle was thinking from a business and a basketball standpoint of it. AD was thinking with his emotions in his heart. And what did that do eventually? It made hard feelings because what Rich Paul said in the, in the, um, the article they did, I think it was with Esquire or somebody, and Rich Paul talked about that article, is nothing different than what Dad told AD before. That your organization yep. is not willing to spend the money. Your organization is not going to, they don't have you set up for talent for the future. They don't have you set up for talent right now. They don't have the right coach for you. They're going to play you out of position. That's the same stuff Dad was telling <laughs> AD in <laughs> So people act like Rich Paul unlocked the code. No. The same conversation we yep. had in 20. 20- 15. Yep. Yep. And you were going to yeah. see Zion, who has already said, we ain't going to do the same thing and get the same results. I'm tired of that. So when the man puts, he has put the gauntlet down. And I know his stepdaddy is right there too. Because oh, we, yeah. we know about strong daddies around these players. Zion's daddy ain't here to keep wasting that boy's earning potential. No, sir. No, sir. And his daddy knows my son is taking over this league and is the face of this league and the NBA and the media are craving him. You got to maximize and capitalize when it is there. And you see it. You see, you, you talk about... You know, I, I don't read too much into the whole thing about New York um, because everybody who goes to New York says how much they love to play in New York. That's, that's just the guard. Yeah. The guard. People love playing in the guard. Yeah. But I will say this. AD is looking at RJ Barrett, who is his friend. And he saw RJ go to the playoffs. He's looking at John Morant, who was number two. And John was in the playoffs. Playoffs. He's looking at the guys who went the year before him. Luca, Trey, DeAndre, playoffs. So when you see that, when you see your peers who were all in situations that you would say at the very least were worse than yours, because the New Orleans was not an empty cupboard when they, when when Zion got in. Mm-hmm. Not an empty mm-hmm. cupboard. They had all those assets to deal with. Mm-hmm. So when you look around and you see even the Hornets playoffs and these are young teams that don't have the number of top picks that they, that that the Pelicans have a bunch of top five guys on that Pelicans roster. Mm -hmm. If you're Zion Williamson, what are you saying? You said it shouldn't take too long because it's not taking long. I'm watching the Knicks go from 20 wins to 40 wins, and RJ is now in the playoffs. I'm watching the Hawks go from last place to first place. I'm watching this, that, and the other. I'm watching the Kings, who were dysfunctional as hell, finish right behind us in the standings. <laughs> right there. Yeah. Memphis, and they're missing guys left and right. J, you know, Triple J missed a bunch of time this year. They're starting Dylan Brooks, who was a nice dude, but shouldn't be a starter on a playoff team, really. And you saw him balling out, leaving it all on the court. 500. So what is that telling you? If you're Zion Williams, you're saying it shouldn't be this hard, bro. 
when you see other young talent getting a taste of that and you haven't scratched it yet, you get antsy. You get real antsy. And you start to ask those business questions now. That's what, and that's what this is. That's what this is. And the fans, you could, we, we, people talk about loyalty. You are only as loyal as your options. Yeah. And fans have created a world where they say you are completely and totally judged by the number of championships you win. None of the other stuff matters. So if all the players understand that, that if getting a championship is all that matters, I'm not wasting years of my career trying to prove something to you when you're going to disrespect whatever I've done if I don't have a ring. You are not not going to give me my due unless I get a ring. There's no, that's what we're doing with Damian Lillard in Portland is saying, Dame got to get out of Portland or he'll never be considered a great. Dame's great. Yeah. If he stays or if he goes, he's great. That's not no change for me because I don't evaluate people that way, but this is how the league is now. This is how the team go now. This is how the fans are now. And so you create this for these players and you, and you get mad at them if they stay where they are and you get mad at them if they leave where they are. But they, you yeah. put them in the position of you're telling me I have to go chase a ring. I, it's, it's just, it is what it it's is. It's just that cut and dry. It's just that cut and dry. And Griff is on the clock. If, if He's on the clock. If they don't make a legit look, we saw it. They put Monty on the clock, right? They put Monty on the clock, and that was what his fourth year coaching, right? Fourth, fourth, I think his fourth season. And they said, make the playoffs or get fired. He made the playoffs, and they fired him anyway because mm-hmm. they snuck in as the eight. And again, the circumstances were Kevin Durant missed twenty plus games. They wouldn't have made it if Kevin Durant was healthy for ten more games. It just mm-hmm. isn't so. They didn't feel like Monty was the right direction. If you're looking at three years of David Griffin with the money that they've invested as, as a franchise to build all of the, the practice facility, to hire this staff, to get the best of the best to come into that building, and you don't get to 45 wins next year? And, and, giving, and, giving Griff, and giving Griff the keys to the bank and complete control? And all that talent. And all that talent to be able to get to do the AD trade, to be able to get to do a Drew trade, to be able to get Zion by luck. You know, they ain't skilled to get the lottery. That's luck. Right, to get the lottery. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? So you've been given all the assets that, let's be frank, no general manager in the history of the franchise had. Not one has been mm-hmm. stuff walking in the door that Griff got. Not the support, not the resources, not the player talent. And you can't tell me that he hasn't underachieved and oversold, oversold more than anything else and acted as if this is a PR campaign and not a basketball team. We said a long time ago that we felt like it's been somewhat of a, the slick oil salesman, the used car salesmanship, like, dude, Where's the product now? Where's the product? You sold everybody on everything, but no change. I'm sorry. One game 
with a better than full season of Zion is not improvement. It's not. Not when your defense drops back and not when you sit there and you keep apologizing. That's the part two. If your vision was so on, on point, why are you admitting that for two straight years you didn't give your coaches the rosters that they needed? Mm. Two straight years you're saying you didn't give you didn't give Alvin what he needed, what he wanted for his team, because Alvin told us. Alvin told us he, when he came out of camp that roster wasn't ready. This year, Stan told you. And then you get at the end of the year, well, I, maybe I didn't give Stan everything he needed. But that's your one job. That's your that's your responsibility. Your one responsibility. You give that man the ingredients, and then it's his job to go cook the dinner. Yep. You yep. get that man spamming potato chips, and you asking for coke on for gumbo. You asking for gumbo. So I mean, I put the lion's share of everything to me, and yes, you know, player mix, all of that. They're they're players who don't fit. It goes back to the front office. And until we talk about that word accountability, what is David Griffin's level of accountability and who is holding him accountable? Is Gail Benson going to hold him accountable? Is, you know, what is his level of accountability in this? Because he has to be, if it's not hot, that seat better be warm going into this season because you don't have what the Sixers had and say, we're going to go through a process. You don't get that luxury when you have Zion Williamson. You can't have a six, seven-year process, and you still haven't gotten only one trip to the conference finals. In, in Phil- they ain't got a trip to the conference finals. They ain't never been in the conference past semifinals. So eight years of that in Philly. Remember, Drew, Drew was the beginning of the process. When Drew got traded to New Orleans, that was the beginning of the process. And here we are all these years later, and Philly still is not that much better than they, you know, I mean, in realistic terms. Mm-hmm. You don't have that timetable with, with Zion Williamson. No, so, you do not. Griffin, if, if by year three there is not a significant uptick and it's got to be double-digit wins improvement, David Griffin has to be in a position where you're talking about he has to go. You have, that, you have to entertain that conversation. If that's, if that's the society that we are in and that's what sports has become, that, that move has to be made. This, to me, this particular season for Griff is the make or the break. It's, it's literally make or break. You can't just go, well, we improved 10 games more. No, 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 no. And it has to be in a fashion that shows your trajectory is higher now. There has to be consistency. Again, this is a franchise that over the last four years doesn't have a single five-game win streak. That's not a big number. The Rockets won how many games last year? 20? You know what the Rockets' longest win streak was? Nine games. Nine games. The Rockets won 20, and nine of them came in one stretch. Pelicans can't win five in a row. In four that means you're a, a mediocre at best basketball team. And fans in New Orleans don't want to hear it or don't want to believe it, but it's the truth of the matter. We're not here to appease everybody and, and, and stroke their egos. We're telling you the truth. This is what it is. It's just that. You don't, and you don't like it the way to resolve that is for the product on the court to become consistent and show 
a, 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 a level of growth. It's not been there. And it's don't just blame not. We can only we can only discuss what is being shown and put out there. That's all we can do. That's it. Let's move. Don't shoot the messengers. Let's move from the Pelicans, and we'll do a quick run through the playoffs. So last night, Milwaukee gets the win. It, it for me, Milwaukee doesn't look any different than they have over the last three seasons. I think this series is already over. Um, Drew, for all the things that they, I mean, honestly, the way they're playing, it doesn't, it hasn't made a difference switching Drew for Eric Bledsoe. In, in fact, Drew's shooting worse than he ever has in the postseason. I think he's down to 20% from three in these first three games in this series, and he's shooting less than 40% overall. He's, he is not providing that outlet that Milwaukee needed. And, I, and, and as we talked about earlier, too, um, before we started, I think Dante DiVincenzo, again, is the biggest absence on that Milwaukee roster because he's the only guy who can attack the, the, the rim consistently for them. The thing for me about Drew is that he, even last night and during the course of the season, he just never looked comfortable at any point in time during the season nor in these playoffs. He's not looked as if he's in tune connected-wise. And maybe a lot of that is because of Coach Bud and his desire to have Giannis handle the ball more. And it makes everybody else on the team kind of stand around. But he just doesn't look as connected as he has in the past to me. I, I don't see how Milwaukee comes back and wins this series. And I think that that means that it's in, the end for Mike Boonholzer. Um, But we're yeah. going, for them to be doing this with James Harden playing, what, two minutes of the first three games, they're fine. Like, yeah. I thought that this series would be more difficult because of the matchups. I thought Milwaukee would be able to defend better. But they have done nothing with Kevin Durant. They, 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 I they, thought because they, of – and I agree with you. I thought because of Milwaukee's length, uh, I thought because of Chris Middleton, I thought because of Giannis defensively that they would have a better defensive presence. Up until this point, to me, Milwaukee didn't even win that game last night. Brooklyn lost that game. Okay? They had an off night, which happens sometimes. But I truly feel like this this series will go five because Brooklyn will come out uh, tomorrow night and literally do what they came to do in that handling business, play at an extremely high level, walk out of there with one of those wins, go back to Brooklyn, and it's going to be over. And there's going to be a change in Milwaukee with Coach Bud. And you getting pissed? But Milwaukee off. looks the same. You getting pissed off, KD now? And I don't want to play against pissed off KD. That's a different dude. <laughs> the sniper is back. That's a different dude. I mean, it's not like he went off after he and PJ Tucker got into it. PJ got into it. Come to him that way at that point. But they're not in that game unless KD does what he does in the second half. Put up 20 in the second half. And after and seven in the first. Let's be honest. For as well as Milwaukee came out and played for the game to go down to the wire the way it did, and yet K 
KD still had a chance to tie it up, bro. It hit the back of the inner rim. Yep. Okay. So the sniper will be out tomorrow because just like you said, now he's agitated. And for as scrawny and slight of build as he is, when he is agitated, he's in a whole different stratosphere. He's literally indefensible. Because you can't contest his shot. And he can get to his. This is one of the things I had a conversation with a coach before about, about Brandon Ingram. Now, uh, just to kind of parallel. Great players always know their spots on the floor. Always. Kobe Bryant knew, you know, hard dribble to the right, free throw line extended, pull up, bang, I got that all night. Go to. Chris Paul has his. Yep. It's that hesitation. Get you. You saw it. You saw it. In the end of that game, you see um, Austin Rivers up there say he's about to shoot it. <laughs> Tell him what he's going to do. He's going to oh. do it to you. And Chris did it in his face and knocked that three down. And Rivers like, I told you, do you not? But you cannot stop it. You it's can't stop it. You know it's coming. You cannot do anything with it. You can't it. do anything about it. That's what separates good scores from great scores is that mm-hmm. no matter what you do, there are certain points in the game where they say, let me get to my spot. If I had been hitting from over here, I'm going to my spot. If it was Jordan when he was having a rough night, it was <laughs> fade away nine times in a row. Boom, 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 boom. There it is. I got my You're mind. at bay. You are at their mercy. You're at their mercy. They got their patent go-to and no matter what you do, they're going to get to that spot, and they can't be stopped. If Timmy okay. it was going to be the banker from 15, if, if it was dirt. You knew it. Stop and shoot that one-legged fall away. It, it's, you knew it. You knew it. The patent. Everybody has a patent go-to. Or you're supposed to have a patent go-to. The great ones. Okay. The great ones. You know what it's going to be. Yeah. And you can't do nothing with it. You can do nothing with it. And that, I think that – that's what separates, you know. That's what Brandon Ingram, going back to him, he says, that's what he needs to figure out. Where are his spots, and how do you get more efficient? Um, you know, and I get, you know, and I totally get what PJ Tucker was saying. Even though I wouldn't have praised KD the way that I did in the fashion which I did, because we're going to war right now. We're at battle. Yeah, you know, we're like, like, yo, that, that stuff's out the window now. We ain't Texas, bro. Listen, Kevin Durant is an elite player but I'm not doing what I need to do to make it more difficult on him, okay? That's it, plain and simple. I'm not doing what I need to do, so I'm going to have to change up some things. But I'm not giving him all this praise and all this kudos. No, I'm not going to do it. Because Katie don't want to hear it anyway. You can't, you can't respect your way out of beef with him. He don't want to hear it. He nope. thinks everybody hates him anyway. He don't care. He thinks the whole league yep. is him. So that dude is the most me against the world player in the league right now. Ain't nobody <laughs> bigger me against the world player than KD. Uh, Utah and the Clippers, Utah 2 nothing. Donovan Mitchell, 41 points a game. I know he got hurt late in the game too, but I don't think that – even if he's only giving them 30, they are so balanced – uh, that I just, uh, Donovich, Ingles, Rudy Gobert, Jordan Clarkson off the bench. Bro, that team is well-balanced in 
every position on the court, every position. And they play with that same air of toughness that Quinn Snyder brings to the table. Um, they defend. They don't mind yucking it up in any fashion whatsoever. Derek Favors knows his role and will get in there and do what he has to do for his few minutes. Utah looks like the best and most well-oiled machine team in the league right now. They play on a string on both ends. They are connected offensively. They are connected defensively. They trust each other. They move without the basketball. They do all the things that if you were doing a tape on, you know, or a DVD or whatever, a YouTube video on how to play basketball. And when people talk about that boring bullshit, like they did with San Antonio too. No, this is how you're supposed to play the game right here. This is it. Yep. This is what you do. Utah settles in on people. And that's what people don't like. They settle in. They know what they can do. They go to their strengths and they stick with them. They follow suit as is. They let Donovan go as he please, but everybody else, they know Joe Ingles. Let me spot up. Bogdanovich, let me spot up. Rudy Gobert, let me roll to the rim. Jordan Clarkson, I'm supposed to be instant offense. They know who and what they, they, the Utah Jazz has an identity and they know who they are and they stick with it. They are the embodied, and, and Quinn Snyder, who does not get enough credit for the job that he's done there the last three years. We weren't talking about Utah three years ago. And now nope. they are a legit championship contender. Is yeah. that Absolutely. Um, I think that's I think that series goes six. I think you know the Clippers will find a way to, to steal maybe a couple. They get one. They'll get one. But the Clippers' problem for me all season has been they don't look like they care. I don't see any love for the game of basketball out of the Clippers as a group. I don't see that collective sense of purpose out of the Clippers as a group. They don't I don't feel good watching. Them. If you feel what I'm saying. Well, let me tell you why I don't feel good watching them. All right. We said this when Paul George was in OKC. He has reduced himself to being a bad long range jump shooter. He doesn't go to the cup anymore with any veracity. He doesn't defend the way he needs to. Paul George is not that dude. He is not going to elevate your team to make them better, to get you where you want to go. He's just not. All right? That's where they are now. Patrick Beverly. We know what Patrick Beverly has always been. He wants to yuck it up, but that only goes so far. It has reached its point where it can't go any further. Reggie Jackson, every, every blue moon, okay, he might show up and do something like he did last night. But that's not consistently. Okay, Kawhi has never been that number one guy that is going to take over. Kawhi is the Kawhi is a A2 guy. He's not an A1 guy. He's a beneficiary of a Tony Parker and a Manu Ginobili, of a Kyle Lowry. He can take, I mean, we saw him take over against Dallas, but I think the thing with Kawhi is that, again, Kawhi gets into positions where he's like, okay, I'll do it myself. But it, it, it's right. harder for him to... Out of necessity. Right. He does it out of necessity. 
because even with Toronto and the thing about Kawhi is like, like you said, it's not, it's the beneficiary is having that person who is the voice. Tony Manu were the voice in San Antonio. They did all the rah-rah shit in Toronto. It's, uh, it was Kyle Lowry. Fred, Kyle Lowry. Those are the talking guys who get you energy and Kawhi is free to do his assassin thing. I'm quiet. I'm a ninja. I just murder people, but I don't, do a lot of demonstrative stuff. And they those four guys, and, and mind you, with Van Vliet, as well as Lowry and Manu and Tony, those were also guys that helped put you in a better position mm -hmm. to be that silent assassin. Kawhi is not the guy to help get other players in better positions for them to also, he has always had to be and there's nothing wrong with that. No, he is great. But, like, skill-wise, there are very few players who can match him skill for skills. Yes, sir. But Yes, sir. But I see Utah, you know, but I see Utah winning this series. Yeah. Six at the most. Six at the most. Tonight, um, game threes for Philly and Atlanta. I thought that this was going to be a really exciting series from jump because of the matchups. Um, you know, Atlanta's quickness versus Philly's size and strength. Um, I think this is a, a seven-gamer. I think this is one that goes all the way down to the end because, A, I think Nate McMillan is a better coach than Doc Rivers. I don't think it's close. I think Nate is a better coach. I think his team is more confident because they, they are playing with house money right now. Philly has all the expectations and the burden of, of winning on them. They're supposed to do this. Atlanta don't care. They're playing free basketball. They are, they, they are disciplined. They're not going to screw around because Nate won't allow it. They are going to be disciplined in their matchups, and they're going to compete every night. Now, I wish DeAndre Hunter was fully healthy, but I'm still at the point where I think they can continue to make enough of a problem that at the end of a game, I, have, I, I believe that Philly will make mistakes. They are not a great closing team. Let's not forget this other aspect as well. You didn't see Atlanta being here in the position that they're in. So they are literally feeling no stress whatsoever. Trey Young is running around the way Steph runs around when he's just out there having a good time, laughing, just like in New York. He's taking bows with the fans. He is a... He's a warrior in his spirit in that I've been the undersized guy my whole life. What you don't realize, fans, is I embrace this negativity and this dislike that you have for me and calling me out. And at the end of the day, bro, it is a shame that Atlanta has not made it official, but Nate McMillan has been and is still a phenomenal basketball coach everywhere he has been. He is one of the coaches that regardless of who that on that, who's on that roster, the man gets the best out of everybody that he has on that roster and when they get to the court. That is coaching. Despite what the play was for the players in Atlanta against the Knicks series, Nate McMillan outcoached Tom Thibodeau. Right now, Nate McMillan is out coaching and making Doc Rivers figure out what the hell is going on.
Atlanta is playing exciting basketball. You even have Clint Capella, who's never been a talker, all of a sudden about, bring it. We want it all. Come on. Come on with it. Bruh, what? Clint Capella? In Houston, you didn't even know Clint Capella could speak. I never heard him. <laughs> I never heard him. Okay. You didn't even know he could speak. But with that, that just goes to show you the same thing that Amani did in Phoenix. The guys in Atlanta with Nate McMillan, they bought into what Nate McMillan brought to that. People don't realize Nate also was a tough nails player when he played the game himself. All right. The man knows the game of basketball. All right. He also knows what player combinations to have with each player and who's going to get the most out of them. Just like with Jackie Mitchell, with DeAndre Hunter. If DeAndre Hunter would be there, Philly wouldn't have a chance. And I mean that. Philly would have no chance whatsoever because that's an impactful player right there on their basketball team. He is maximizing everything out of each player that steps on that floor. And here's the best part. They're having fun. What you say? You got to play for each other? That's what they always coaches always talk about. Are you playing for each other? The Hawks are playing for each other. That's what they're doing. And you see that on the court. And you saw it, like you said, you saw it against the Knicks. They went into that series saying, we're better than New York. (laughs) And Trey walked in there. He said, I'm the best player in this series. And you have to have that guy. And in the series, you're having a legitimate conversation about who is the better player, Joel Embiid or Trey Young. And if that's the case, if I'm Trey Young too, what again? Trey Young looks at that draft year, and everybody said Atlanta was stupid for taking uh, Trey over Luka Doncic, and Trey looking over his shoulder, and Luka at home. You know what I'm saying? Like, Trey has something to prove, too. And this dude yep. is not doing it to the, to the, uh, to the, to, to the adverse uh, effect for his team. He's, doing, he's playing that way with the chip for the benefit of his team. Yes. Absolutely. The same thing is when Steph Curry got to his asshole mode and that's smiling and people was like thinking that that was cute stuff, but it was really no. where Steph is yes. because you can't do nothing with him. <laughs> that's where Trey is trying to get to. And he's, he's seeing and- the, light. the light is there for him at the end of that tunnel. He sees it. Now, does he grab it this year? Maybe he might grab it in this round, but it's there and he knows it. And he's trying to take the rest of the Hawks over there. He's not taking the ill-advised, let me just jack up a shot from anywhere. He's not making those bad decisions anymore. His team believes in him, and he is also, in turn, showing that he's believing in his team now. And where did that begin with? Nate McMillan instilling that in his team. And you think about too, this is the best player that Nate's ever had. Nate's ever had a star, superstar. Yeah, he's... Yeah, he never has. This is the best player he's ever had. Perfect timing for him. Yep. Last series, Phoenix, Denver, Phoenix up 2-0. I think Phoenix sweeps it. (laughs) I I, I, deserve the regular season MVP, but I had Chris Paul as three in that set. Um, I could have – there was a time when I would have given it to him straight up, but Jokic just did so much down the stretch. But, look – the Suns' top three players, this is what tells it to me. The Suns' top three players all averaging 19 points a game. Not, you know, Booker ain't 
They had to put up 50. Chris ain't had to go off. Anybody had to go off in these two games. Top three guys getting 19. And they you're getting you're getting production and more importantly, a mindset from DeAndre Ayton. You're getting the production and you knew the toughness and the glue guy that you were going to get in Jay Crowder. All right. When you also look over at the Phoenix Suns bench, they're all engaged. They're all involved in what is going on with whoever is on that court scoring. Let's not forget <laughs> Mr. Campaign with his dancing self all over with Russell and OKC. And Monty turned him into a basketball Ballin'. player. Balling. Okay? Bruh, I am extremely happy for Monty, not just because of what has transpired over the years in his personal life. All right? We talked about this before in New Orleans. And what a lot of people don't realize is the reason why Monty got the boot is simply because of this. Certain players on the team didn't want to be held accountable and they wanted a player-friendly coach. Because you see, Monty is the kind of guy, we messed the play up, let's run it again. Let's run it again. Let's get along so well. Let's run it again. Dude, they are of the same mindset. You want to make the game easy? Let's run it over and over and over and over again. You see the level of comfort that Monty also has on the sideline because of Chris. You see Chris and Monty. People, people don't see just how much Chris and Monty talk to each other in huddles. They're literally, Monty is listening to what Chris is saying that he's feeling and what he's seeing and what'll work. Monty is also telling Chris, I think this is the perfect time to do this. So the Chris is like, yeah, let's do it with that right now. Bro, when your point guard and your head coach are like this and they have the same work ethic, Devin Booker has been the beneficiary of it. Mikhail Bridges has been a beneficiary of it. Frank J Kaminsky, bro, everybody that steps on that floor is having an impact. I literally, and you know, I was in love with Phoenix in the bubble because the way they played. And I knew they were going to be a better basketball team. You added a Chris Paul, a guy who literally, and I'm so happy that the little injury that he did have didn't prevent him again from getting to this level. I love watching the Phoenix Suns play basketball because when they need to speed it up, they can go. When they need to settle it down and get an effective shot, they know how to do that. Even when Chris went down, you saw them rally around each other because they had this mentality of, we are built for this now. We're not hoping, but we know we are the better team and we're built for it. And Dave, you know, when that mental aspect kicks in that you feel, not only believe that you're the better team or you think you're the better team, but when you feel it and know it, you got a whole different bounce in your step. And you can see it with these guys, man. Even going on the road, they're not intimidated by anything, man. You know, against the Lakers, when you wanted your superstar to step up, Devin Booker intentions were, I'm going to put the nail in their coffin 
right off the bat. That's superstar status, brother. That is superstar status. And when you saw in game two, Jay Crawford and Aaron Gordon. And Jay Crawford, Aaron Gordon is the more talented player. Yeah, Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder, Jay Crowder, yeah. And then Jay Crowder is right there in his grill, pushing back, bring and, and all his teammates. You look at the rest of the sun, Aaron Gate, they're like, okay, is this if this about to go down? We're we're here too. That is a step. And when we when you go all the way back to the Pelicans, when have you seen that level of camaraderie? When have you seen that level of yep. commitment? When have you seen that level of we are all that won't bow down? We're gonna kick ass, we're gonna do nobody's pump. They're living that. They're living that. That's what Utah's living. That is what Phoenix is living. That is why that's what Atlanta is living. They are living that we might not, you might not think we're supposed to be here. We might be a year ahead of schedule. We might be whatever you think. But, but we're here now. Sending us home easily. But we are here now, and we're going to battle. Let me tell you what won't bow down has always been to me. False bravado of wanting you to think that you're tougher than what you are. It's all false bravado. Because when you're a tough guy, you ain't got to walk in and say you're a tough guy. When you're the most beautiful girl and you're confident in who you are, you ain't got to walk in and tell everybody, hey, I'm the pretty girl, I'm here. When you're confident in who you are, you just walk in like that. And Phoenix and Chris Paul and Monty, Monty has given them a level of calm. DeAndre Ayton is a year ahead of himself. DeAndre Ayton has bought into Chris Paul. DeAndre, let me tell you something. If you play hard and you play tough for me and you roll to the rim, I'm going to make sure you are taken care of. DeAndre Ayton is now being physical with Jokic. He knows and believes that he belongs on this level now. Dude, confidence and passion is a mother, man. It's a mother. And that's what the Pelicans have been missing. It's everything. It's everything in sports. If you don't have that confidence, it's life. If you don't have the confidence to everything, and like you said, the dude who doesn't talk, and you know this your whole life, you walk into a room, and if there's a cat over there in the corner, he ain't saying nothing. Because I, I used to, I used to joke about this, and I said, I when I was at, at a certain age, when you went to places that you ain't been before, you look around the room when you walk in the door, and you say, if stuff goes down, who do I have to take? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. You don't take the dude who's quiet in the corner. No. <laughs> that's the one that's waiting. Like, that's the one that wishes it would. <laughs> Leave that like, like said entertainer said on the Kings of Comedy, there's always somebody that'd be like, I wish somebody would. I wish you would. You walk in with it on your mind already. And that's why they go off by themselves because they don't want you to flip that switch. They know what's going to happen if you flip the switch. I'm going to stay over here. I'm going to click out. I'm be chill. I'm chill over here. Don't come talk to me. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't come holler at me unless you're my man, unless we know each other already. Don't come over here. You know them cats. You know them. 
And your team, <laughs> you've had to, you better have your team better have a couple of those dudes who don't say a word, yeah. who don't like to hang out. They ain't, hey, they over there. Look, they, they're the dude who just takes care of business, and the Pelicans just don't have that mindset. You got to if you, if you're gonna say that basketball IQ and toughness are the things that you got to go find this offseason and shooting. I don't know how you go find toughness. I don't know how you can measure it till you actually see it. And mm-hmm. that also means you got to get rid of the, if you're saying that that's what you don't have on this team. You got to let go of that weight. You got to let the weight go. Got to go. Got to go. And not the false bravado of toughness. Dudes that's really tough. Just like when Eric Gordon went towards Jay Crowder, you ain't see Jay Crowder move or back up at all. Jay Crowder, after he recognized that Eric Gordon was, was thinking he wanted some of that life, Jay Crowder went closer to him and just stood there. That's why <laughs> Dude, I wish we I'm not here to talk with you. That's why I wish we had gotten to talk about Udonis Haslam's last game. Because that is the ultimate bad boys moving silence. And you know, is because UD comes in. It's his last game, probably of his career. <laughs> His only game of the season. He comes in and gets kicked out. He comes in and gets kicked out. He's like, I'm done. Don't test me. That dude had done it for 17, 18 years. And he went out the way he came in. The way he came in. Yes, sir. Mine. That was that's UD's job. I protect mine. Yes, sir. To have those guys on your team, this I am invested in this. This is my group, and ain't nobody coming over here and acting any kind of way with my guys. I made that's the one minute, but you gonna feel this minute, and that's what he did. They grow, you know. That's the best feeling in the world, and you know we talked about this before. When because I've had people ask me, dude, why do you love your big so much? Why do you love big so much? I'm like, the reason why I love bigs. Is because fortunately enough, when I got to, well, even in high school, my man, Big David Crawford, I've always had other tough guys with me. Guys who were like, dude, bring it. Bring this work. I got something for you. All right. I'm not going to tell you about it. Bring what you got. Bring that. Same way when I got to college, bro. At Oregon, my man, Brett Coffee, my man, Randy Gret. God rest his soul in peace. Bro, for as much as they made me prove myself, you better not be the opposing player coming at me. Oh, no, it's going to go down. And this is, this is the again, the nature of sports. And in hockey, you're not putting your hands on our score. The guy, who, if it was Wayne Gretzky or whomever, you're not putting your hands. We have two guys who are here who are going to make sure you don't touch Wayne. In the NFL, right. there's an offensive lineman whose job is just, you are the nastiest some bitch. And anybody getting near our quarterback, your job is to hurt them, to knock them down, make them feel you, be dirty, whatever you got to do. You know how the piles are in the NFL. That's what it is. In baseball, if you if somebody goes after your best hitter, then somebody got to take care of that. Got to take care of the situation. And the NBA, That's just that what it is. Typically upon your fours and your fives. Those guys, if somebody is messing with your scores, if somebody's trying to out-physical you, Sometimes you got to give a Charles Oakley slap across the mouth and let people know this ain't happening tonight. 
I am willing that's, to objected to let you know this is not happening tonight. That is your responsibility. And the funny thing about that is, the funny thing about that is, you earn so much respect from the rest of your teammates who also then let you know, yo, Oak, you ain't by yourself. We right here with you, bro. We right here with you. Even Jackson. It ain't going. Or, your, you know, your team, if you, where's your crazy dude? You better, every team got to have, Bruce Bowen was the crazy dude for a while. You got to have that one crazy dude. Where's your crazy dude? KG was the crazy dude for Boston. That was KG's job. I'm crazy. I'm a yell. I'm a get in people's faces. They won't touch Kendrick. That was Kendrick Perkins' job. Couldn't one gonna put up? Negro. When the Pels made the playoffs, Rajon Rondo was the crazy dude. It's rare that your point guard is the crazy dude, but Rajon was built differently. He was your crazy dude, dude. Don't you remember, and I know you do, against Boston, when they want to honor Isaiah Thomas, he got in a fight with Isaiah Thomas. It had nothing to do with Isaiah Thomas. Got the game. organization. Yeah. He, he, Isaiah's coming like, it, that was a beautiful thing, though, because it's that level of petty that you want to see out of great athletes. <laughs> great athletes are what? Fueled by pettiness. They're all Jordan. Kobe, right. who you want to talk about? They are fueled by pettiness. Kevin Durant is sitting there right now, still thinking about what Jay Williams said on Stewing. 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 Stewing in the pettiness, which is the reason why we get on LeBron so much and so hard, because he doesn't stew in the pettiness of it all. No. Not when you switch the gears and say, well, season's over. I'm 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 more worried about Space Jam now. I just and changing and changing my number and shit. What? But I, uh, I mean, we can, we gonna end on this because I just want to get you. Can you imagine? And I, I don't want to do the Jordan Kobe type thing. I just want to say any champion. You talk. You give me Bill Russell. Give me Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Give me Magic Bird. Whomever. After you get beaten the playoffs the way that they did, I don't care if you had filmed that movie. I don't care what would have gone down. Those dudes would have been like. I ain't going to promote no damn movie. It's going to have to go get sold on its own. I got to get back in the lab and work. That's what it would be. I mean, you you literally, you know that it would be, I got to get back in the lab and work because we lost the first round. I ain't doing that again. D-Grub, I'm going to give you one even better than that before it even got to the loss. How about, could you imagine any one of those greats you just mentioned with seven minutes left in the game you do this, saying you need a break to come out of the game? Not an elimination game. Oh, you, dude. Die on the floor, man. You go, you go down with every muscle in your body cramping and hurting before you walk off that floor. And, Talk about you need a break. And knowing I'm that sorry. you asked AD to get out there, and I said this too, and I, I wish we had had this conversation because I said AD was the sacrificial lamb that LeBron was willing to put out there for his glory. And he was mm -hmm. and he had no business being on the floor. He had no traveling in the previous game. None. The season was over. They knew it. They had no business putting that man out there, risking his career, knowing his, his history and his fragility. And you put him out there for LeBron. That's what you did. You put him out there for LeBron. And if I'm LeBron, if you ask that man to do that and he got hurt 
two minutes into the game and had to go sit down, then you owed it to him. The dude that you recruited and said, I need you over here. You the big fella. We got you owed it to him to play for those minutes and be out there with the rest of those guys who committed to to be out there and lose with them. It wasn't like it's not like the Pistons walking off. It's not like the Celtics walking off. Those are champions walking off against a bitter rival. You got waxed by the Suns. (laughs) You needed to take your ass whooping like a man. And I, 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 it's not that I lost respect for LeBron for that because that's just who LeBron is. He's he's built that way, but I thought it was a bad way to to, to go out. And, and I, look, and look, here's the thing about it for me. And you know, this is how you know when you're speaking the truth about situations. People are so quick to then go, but look at what he does off the court, and he's such a great guy, and all the entrepreneurial things that he does in the school and he's never cheated on his wife. As a black man, I love all those things about the brother, the impact that he's having in our community and how he's trying to galvanize us and grow up. I'm all for that. I am talking strictly basketball. You went out like a sucker. You did not go out like a leader, like a champion. And I don't care what anybody says. That is not how you go out with your head between your legs. You go out literally on the court fighting with every last tooth and nail. If you spent less time complaining with the officials about calls that you didn't get in the fourth quarter, and running back down on defense when the rest of your team is down there playing defense, Phoenix misses a shot, and then they get a second chance and a third chance because you're still arguing with an official. If you'd have ran your ass back on the defensive side of the ball, you could have made up for the call that you didn't get or the mistake on the offensive end. You went out like a sucker. Yeah, he did. And and Dave, let me also say one other aspect when it comes to AD. You and I both know we've given all the statistics. We've broken down AD's game from A to Z since he was with the Pelicans. Mm-hmm. One of the main things that keep disturbing me about AD and considering the fact that we are supposedly in a positionless game of basketball now. As a player, we let you know statistically and visually whether you like to play center or not, when you play center, it puts us in a better position to win games. And your mindset always is, I don't want to play center. That to me tells me you're really not about winning then. Because if that's what it takes for us to win games, okay, would it make you feel better if I say you are the main power forward and we still have two other forwards? Change the verbiage then. What, you don't like the word center? Okay, say you're a guard then. Change it to whatever the heck. Say you're a damn unicorn. Call a position whatever you want to call a position other than center. But dude, if you knew Coach Rob needed you at this particular juncture, D-Grub, I need you when you are on the post to be more of a facilitator right now. When, when you get double team, I need you to pass it out here so and so forth. That's what you do to win games. If that's, I know I can get my 15. But then Coach Rob is also like, but Dino, 
if you can do these things for me right now, guess what? It's going to open it up for you to score the way you need to score later on. I need you to do these things now for us to be successful and win. And you know, AD has been my guy. I have nothing but love for AD. Always. Oh, we know as talent, AD is, a, is an extremely talented basketball player. But we also know when AD is the most effective basketball player, and his numbers also show that as well. And what have we seen out of AD the last four years? Decline across the board in his numbers. Shooting percentage down, two-point percentage down, three-point percentage down. Uh, shots near the basket, the percentage of shots within three feet of the rim, down for like four straight years. From the year with the Pelicans where we were talking about him as a top three MVP finalist, right? Since then, has he been in that position? No. You don't even hear his name mentioned anymore in that level. Further and further from the basket. Just getting yep. And people look, people look at what happened in the bubble and saw him shoot that way, which is he's never shot that well in his life. And they thought that that was what you were going to get year in and year out. No. No, that's not who he is. He is best mm -hmm. around the rim. He the rim. The reason the Pelicans made the playoffs that year is because he kept his big behind around the rim. Miritich 15 shot. in. 15 in. 15 in. That's when you're the most effective and it leads to wins. 15 in. You are unstoppable. You are dominant. There's a player just to let people know if they aren't aware, there's a player in the NBA who never took a three-pointer in his life and is still the greatest scorer in NBA history because he had one patent move. Now, people can take that however they want to take it. You don't score 38,000 points. And still, with all the threes that are being shot, he is still the Leading scorer in the NBA. And let me add this for you. Has held the record for 32 years. For 32 years. 32 years. Okay? Even with all the three-ball shooting. And Dave, I'm going to finish with on this one. If people look at the top 25 all-time scorers in the league, 16 of them, 16 to 17, are all bigs, and all they did was shoot twos. You added up. The the, Add it the, up. the recipe for bigs has always been the same. It's it's not about athleticism for the long lasting bigs. The ones who've made it the longest in their careers, the Moses Malones, the Tim Duncans, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, it wasn't about athleticism. It's about consistency. It's about doing the same thing every night. I boarded and got buckets his whole life. When Moses was slow, he could still get you six offensive boards and put them things back in the, in the, in the, in the Tim Duncan in year 20 was still going to give you that work because he didn't waste his motion. He didn't do things that he couldn't do. Tim didn't back his game out to the three-point line. And we acted like it was 20 years ago. We're talking five years ago when Tim retired. He just went in the Hall of Fame. Talking five years ago winning championships, still playing the same game that he played when he came in the league in 1997. D. Grubb, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Carl Malone. You got a couple of guards in there, of course. LeBron, Kobe, Mike. And then Mike. Okay. Dirk Nowitzki. Here we go with Biggs again. Will Chamberlain, Shaquille O'Neal, Moses Malone, 
you throw Comarillo in there. Elvin Hayes, Hakeem Olajuwon, Oscar, they didn't even have threes. Dominique, who spent all his time around the rim. Tim Duncan, Paul Pierce later on developed a three. John Havlicek, Kevin Garnett, Vince Carter, Alex English didn't shoot the three ball. Reggie, we know did. Jerry West, Pat Ewing. Bruh, I'm mentioning nothing but guys who spent their careers shooting nothing but twos. And still your all-time leading scorers. People have fallen in love with the three ball like the three ball is the answer for everything. If AD would go back to his bread and butter, this dude's career would be so much better and he would continue to be in the upper echelon every year of MVP. Think about it. The Joker won MVP this year, and he would step out every now and again, maybe one or two threes a game, but his bread and butter is in the painted area, man. Not a single center on the teams that are still in the playoffs outside of Brooke Lopez, would you say is a three-point shooter? None. He makes one a game. He makes one a game. Jokic only makes about one a game. Joel Embiid. Uh, he, but he, Joel, 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 but that re, this whole year he cut down them attempts. He cut, he cut it down. I agree. He cut it down. Aiden ain't shooting threes. DeAndre Aiden ain't shooting no three. Gobert, Rudy Gobert. Matter, matter of fact, make you laugh. Last night in the post game interview with Utah, they were talking to Rudy Gobert. And uh, I want to say Tom Byrne on Sirius XM NBA radio asked Rudy Gobert, how much faith does he have when guys on the team shoot three or how many guys on his team can he count on to shoot and make threes? He goes all 11 except me because I ain't shooting them. You got no point. Capella ain't shooting threes, right? Capella ain't shooting threes. Nicholas Claxton <laughs> in, in for Brooklyn. Bro, where are these three-point shooters playing in the big in, in, for for great for the best teams? The bigs are doing their job. They're not shooting threes. So this whole idea that your big has to be a three-point shooter that is nonsense. You need shooting. Clint Capella. Always Clint Capella in the NBA. Clint Capella for Atlanta. He ain't shooting threes. You have always needed to shoot on your team. Yes. But people have gotten this idea that bigs are just supposed to be out there hanging around, splitting the floor with their jump shots. And that is just not the case. That Nonsense. is not the case. The numbers don't show that. The winning percentages, the most important number, the who's winning the championships, Golden State, show me their center. You're talking about when Draymond plays center, did Draymond make threes? Draymond shoots like 20% from three. Zubat, I mean, uh, you're talking about whoever has played center for Golden State during their run, not one of them. Andrew Bogut was So show me these three-point shooters on these championship teams. You gonna talk? Show me. Show me. Boston wasn't doing it. The uh, the Heat. You, I guess if you want to call Chris Bosh a center, if you want to say that that's what he was, but that's about as close as you're gonna get. But none of these teams winning titles are doing it with centers who are shooting threes. The thing that we know is that, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Basketball is going to go into basketball mode. Traditional basketball. That's why right. you saw an 80-point game last night between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. When the three doesn't go, why are you shooting 34 of them? Why are you going nine for 34? It makes no sense. 
because you are willing to take good shots because you think the three is yes the three is worth more than the two but if you ain't making them they worth zero if you ain't exactly if you ain't making them and i'm coming down and i'm scoring twos we win we win <laughs> you don't have to be a mathematician to figure that out okay the Lakers, Shit, Lakers won a championship last year. They were one of the lowest numbers of threes per game of any team in the league. Philly had the best record in the, in the East. I think they made 12 threes a game, maybe. Like, it's you don't have to play one way. This whole thing of this, when people keep talking about the modern NBA, this stuff is not new. And we've talked about this on this before. These offenses that you see have been being run since the 1930s and 1940s. Bro, this isn't basketball. The game of basketball is still the game of basketball, man. The okay. game has been around for 80, 90 years. But it's still the state of offense. <laughs> it is the base foundation of all NBA offenses, the pick and roll. <laughs> and it's been there forever. Forever. The game is the game. So so who do you see in the NBA finals? You ask me today, I'm gonna say I'm gonna still I'm gonna give the slight edge to Utah because they have home in the in the conference finals. Um, I think that's gonna be a great series though. So I'm uh, I'll give the slight edge today to Utah, but then I'm gonna say Brooklyn. I'm gonna say Utah and Brooklyn in the final. Yeah, I give the slight edge right now also to Utah, especially because of the overall cohesiveness. That Utah has. There's um, a group a little bit, you know, more. Phoenix. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 I mean, no question with Chris being added there, they've made significant strides and they've proven that they belong there right now. They've proven. Phoenix has shown that they didn't just get lucky and get second place. They're showing you they're that talented of a basketball team and they're putting in the work. And Brooklyn is just so uber talented to this point. It's just like, okay, you're going to have to. The only way Brooklyn won't be there is if Brooklyn beats itself. But other than that, they're just on another level. So, yeah, I see Utah and Brooklyn as well right now also. All right, brother. Yep. We'll cover a lot next week. We'll have more to talk about now that we're back on schedule. Um, yes, sir. It was a blast as usual, man. And, and we got Always. everything we wanted to cover. Always, my brother. Always. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So for Dino, the Dean Hansen, I am David Grubb, and this has been High Low on Hard to Paint. We'll talk to y'all soon. Peace.